Welcome to FYI, the four-year innovation podcast. This show offers an intellectual discussion on technologically enabled disruption, because investing in innovation starts with understanding it. To learn more, visit arc-invest.com. Arc Invest is a registered investment advisor focused on investing in disruptive innovation. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. It does not constitute either explicitly or implicitly any provision of services or products by Arc. All statements made regarding companies or securities are strictly beliefs and points of view held by Arc or podcast guests and are not endorsements or recommendations by Arc to buy, sell, or hold any security. Clients of Arc Investment Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Welcome to another episode of Arc's For Your Innovation podcast. This episode, we're going to talk about fintech and about payments, and also about how these topics are affected by the corona epidemic. To do so, we have a great guest joining us today. Today's podcast guest is Alberto Dalmasso, founder and CEO of Satispay. Satispay is a mobile payments application in Italy, which started out in 2015 and recently surpassed 1 million active users. Recently, Satispay also put out new products that help during the current COVID-19 crisis, but we're going to come to that later. First, Alberto, thank you for joining. It would be great if we could start off the podcast by you telling us a little bit about your background, about Satispay, and maybe your recent milestone of 1 million active users. Well, thank you very much for having me. It's a real pleasure to, to be here. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm the founder of Satispay, which I found with the Dario, our CTO, luckily to complement our competence. I come from an economic background. I started economy and international trade in Turing in the northwest of Italy. And I tried to dedicate the most possible time in traveling while I was studying at the university. And I had a couple of working experience in Texas for a food corporation doing import-export of Italian products and opening ice cream stores in Texas and Florida. And then I went to Australia to work for the Italian Chamber of Commerce in Queensland. So I always tried to kind of have an international view and approach. Then I graduated just after Lehman Brothers, so it wasn't the right time to, to find a job in, in the investment banking that I was thinking about. And so I started working here in Italy for an asset manager, an historical Italian asset manager. And on the side, I launched my first small company with my older brother, creating solar panels installation for the production of solar energy. That's still going on. It's a small initiative, but was enough to get me hooked into entrepreneurship and doing things by myself. And I had three amazing years in this asset management firm to really shape my professionality and the way I could work, look into macro trends, while I was always looking around for opportunities and talking with friends about things we could do. And I couldn't stop by noticing that I was doing everything with my iPhone in 2012, but I still was wasting a lot of time in withdrawing cash because 90% of uh, stores, especially small, medium brick and mortar stores, family owned businesses, they do not like to accept cards for small amount transaction. This happens in Italy, 
where 80% of transactions are still cash, but also in Germany and other European markets where cash is still king. So I was wondering why this is going like that, why it's not like in the US where I can pay with, with my card. And, and I, I noticed that it's because there's this nature of small businesses that tend to not have great deal in terms of the cost to accept credit and debit cards. And on the other side, Southern Europe, Continental Europe, people tend to pay with the money they have on the bank account. So there's no real need for the credit that cards provide. So if it's the only way for merchants to access to the spending power of families, it's okay to pay for the fee. But in Europe, it's not like that, with the exception of, of UK probably. And so we started wondering why can't we make something different? Why everything is still card-based? We were looking into Google Wallet at the time. We noticed every significant project was either card-based or bank-driven. So you could, and in case it was card-based, same cost, so the merchant wouldn't be happy to accept it either. Bank-driven, typically only peer-to-peer. So they do not solve the problem of allowing me to pay in store without wasting time and withdrawing cash and waiting for, for the changes. And on the other side, the bank-driven project cannot be used by anybody with any bank accounts. This could work in some countries with few banks, but in Italy, Germany, you have more than 1,000 banks per country. So they tend to not agree on a single product. So we saw an opportunity in trying to build the payment network that can be used by anybody, no matter what's their bank account, leveraging any regulation that have standardized their debit and credit transfer in Europe. So we could actually work more similarly to what you see in Asia with Alipay and WeChat, where there's no card involved, it's a three-party model, and the financial institution in the middle moves money from the consumer bank account to the merchant bank account. This allows to drop the cost of transactions. It took a while for us to understand the regulation and build the platform to be completely independent, actually two years, because we left our previous jobs and I quit at the end of 2012 and the same Dario, my co-founder, and we worked two years to be able to launch the product on the market. The idea was to create something easy to be used by consumer merchants that merchants would be happy to accept. In fact, Satispay is free to accept payment below 10 euros and 20 euro cents as a fixed cost over 10 euros for the merchants. So we launched it with just in-store payment and peer-to-peer money transfer, as we believe those were the first thing to address. And then we started getting traction on merchants, first SMEs and then larger retailer. And I believe the key factor has been the fact that we have integrated everything that could be on the counter. So you will have small merchant accepting Satispay with their smartphone, taxi driver with their tablet, and the biggest retailer with their existing cash register software. Because we have really gone deep into integrating everything. So it's not just a matter of pricing, but also no merchant needs to implement anything new to accept payments, which many times for startup, the issue is that they don't get big customers because they require integration. So that got us growing and get recently to 100,000 merchants and 1 million active users on the platform. And I remember the first year, we got 15,000 users in one year because you need to build 
the merchant acceptance and the consumer acceptance, while last week we signed up 30,000 new consumers. And I, this is because we kind of cracked uh, the network effect uh, by having enough merchant on the platform that the consumers see, really see the value of having finally something they could use even for small payments, even for their single express in the morning without wasting time withdrawing. And the more consumer we have, the more merchants want to be visible on the app. And the other thing is, as we decided to build Satispay because a card not being accepted in stores most of the time is actually complicates people's lives. We wanted to simplify the life of our user. So we started with in-store payment and peer-to-peer money transfer. But then we went into all the transactions that are still a problem to be solved. So in Italy, many people have to top up their mobile credit. And there are many ways to do that, but not, no, nothing was really easy. And we implemented it in the app. But also, and I think that's even more important, we integrated all the public administration payments. So speed ticket, taxes, uh, the school canteen for children, everything can be paid within Satispay, as well as utility payment with payment slips. So many payments that could only be performed by going to public offices, uh, queuing in line and wasting time are now doable in our app with a couple of, of click. So this has really brought us into a new vision of trying to be a super app that solves a consumer's problem to engage consumer more and more and become kind of the go-to app for any financial transaction. We call ourselves the Swiss knife of financial services in Italy that really solves your problems. And because it engages users, Merchants are really seeing it as a platform to be visible, so much so that we became a marketing platform for merchants because the consumers see the merchants around themselves and the merchant can propose cashback campaign that are visible on the map and on the store list. And it really works as a drive-to-store tool because you can target specific user proposing specific cashback and that's just because you have 1 million users looking at our app more than 10 million times a month. So that's a place where the merchant wants to be visible. Yeah. Before diving a little bit more into the product, I would just be curious on the 1 million active user number. That caught a little bit my attention. I find it, first of all, kind of informative that you put out active user number because many fintech companies out there release user numbers without really specifying you know, what they mean by that. So they mostly just refer to registered users and that leads to you know, big challenger banks in the UK and in Germany getting big headlines you know, saying we have five or 10 million users, but in the end, those are only registered users and the, the number doesn't really mean anything. It doesn't offer any insight into how many people actually are using the product on an active basis, on a daily basis or monthly basis or quarterly basis. So I would just be curious, how do you define an active user for you and why did you choose to release the number of active users? So I believe it's down to the fact that we want to be focused on the right metrics and it means there is a consumer that has completed the registration as the identity verified, has opened the account, and have at least performed one transaction. Doesn't mean these are monthly active users, 
but monthly active users are a part of this and goes to luckily an improving monthly retention rate that we see over time with improving cohort. But the, why releasing that metrics? We wanted the company to be focused on the right metric. We want everybody to be working, not on just signing up user, and specifically not just on having downloads. Because at the end, the value is generated once someone starts using the app. And for us, it's really important because it would be easy to create downloads all around Italy, even if maybe we are stronger with merchants in some regions. And now we have public administration payments, e-commerce. But for specific transactions, what drives the growth are in-store payment. And you don't want to have 100,000 downloads in Sicily if you don't have enough merchant accepting it. And you are definitely aware of it. But if you give as a target to performance marketing team the download, you're going to have download. And you're going to be paying for download but maybe those are never going to become active users. And that's maybe give you an headline, but at the end, it's not what you need for sustainable growth. Yeah. We don't even know how many downloads we have. Obviously, there are some people in the company that knows that to track the conversion, but what we really want to see are active users. And lately, we shifted our focus on the number of transactions because 1 million users was our first milestone that we always had in mind. And now we're looking into managing 500 million transactions performed by our consumers in terms of number of payments and that's volume. Again, because frequency is everything. If you are frequently used, you become a behavior. And that's, I believe, what everybody wants to achieve. Because if you are a behavior, you can really then start offering other services. If you stay true to the goal of simplifying users' life, engage more and more with your user and have an healthy platform. Yeah, that obviously is the goal. But I would be very interested in a couple of things that you talked about earlier, which is kind of building up that momentum. And I think you talked about somewhat of an infliction point in your network effects, right? So you have, I guess, two networks, your consumers and the businesses. So it would be interesting to find out kind of what challenges you encountered in building up both these ecosystems and kind of how you solved, you know, these challenges. And what do you think were the most effective measurements in building up those two ecosystems? It's about learning a lot of lessons. And I remember the first one that we really didn't expect that was the fact that it's a merchant-first network. As you are aware, there are a lot of peer-to-peer networks and application, especially Northern Europe, US. And so because we have the peer-to-peer functionality, probably we're going to have millions of users just because of that. But it turned out that the, only when we started adding uh, a relevant number of merchants in a city center, that really consumers started signing up. And Probably is a mixed thing of the fact that with Satispay, you need to sign up with your bank account details and not with the cre- just by taking a picture of the credit card. So it's, as a process, maybe a bit more complicated, especially at the beginning. Now people are used to that. Probably not a process you will start just to give money back to a friend or vice versa. And so probably we need a bit more stronger reason to actually do that from the consumer side. So we soon discover that the real 
need that people were feeling was the reason why we decided to do that. So to be able to use it in stores, in cafes, in bakeries, especially in those stores where they are not happy to accept cards. So we learned that what we needed to do was to take, at least at the beginning, a city approach. Try to get enough merchant in a city center to be noticeable, to be visible, and then work on the consumer side. And we came out with our own strategy by creating some specific days we call the Satispay Fridays. So as soon as in a city we got enough merchant, there can only be like 500 in a city in a precise neighborhood. But if you create for like three months the Satis Friday, where every Friday you give cash back, you create a word of mouth. can sound expensive, but at the end you're only paying a cashback on your first few thousand users in a city and will cost much, much more to go doing digital advertising or other advertising. Also because with fintech product, there starts to be a lot around and you need to explain why Satispay is different. And doing that through advertising will be too expensive and complicated. So it's better to have the merchant saying, oh, come back on Friday because they are offering a cashback. The merchant has a, a reason to say that or maybe signed up user speak about that to other user. The other thing is the member get member. We still grow 50% of our growth comes from active user inviting other user. And so we discovered that with the first few cities, we learned a lot of lessons. Luckily, we tested in small cities, so we didn't waste too much money. But the right thing to do is to get the first merchant, create cashback campaigns, and then move toward more traditional and digital advertising once you go over 4% of the population on the app. And from that moment on, what happened, maybe more after 7% of the population onboarded of the city, the merchant started to pay the cashback, like 15% of the active merchant. And you kind of have the network also investing on your platform and helping you to grow. So the right approach has been to understand straight away from a small city with small investment uh, that was important to have the merchant try to make the solution as much acceptable as possible to the merchant with mobile solution desktop acceptance solution integration with POS and cash register softwares so that you give no reason to say no to the merchant perfecting the sales process and then perfecting the marketing investment to get consumers once you perfect it, you can do it in multiple cities. You can also leverage some partners. So we ended up, we work with any bank. We don't need the, the agreement of a bank to be able to onboard the bank's customer. But some banks have started partnering with us to onboard their merchant and offer a new solution. And because we have perfected our playbook, we knew when to engage the bank and what to do after the bank brought in the first few merchants. So building a two-side network for us, at least for this kind of product in Europe, I believe is extremely important to get the merchant first. And then the merchant never leave you. There's basically no churn because the merchant never want to lose your consumer and the visibility on your consumer. Even if you just will represent 1% of sales, they don't want to lose that 1%. So... That's the side that I we discovered was important to invest on. And also, I believe fintech right now in Europe is a lot about 
becoming your main bank, uh, being uh, like with all the money went into Challenger Bank, I think there's really huge investment, too much communication there. And everybody are fighting over the consumer to become their main bank account. We don't care what's your bank account. We offer you a solution that will simplify your life because you could finally live without cash. And you can see it in all the thousands of stores you find around you. And then luckily, once you step over half a million user and 50,000 merchants, you start getting large retailers and e-commerce and the in-app services to pay public administrations and utility, and you become more national. From that moment on, you can start growing not anymore only tighter to the city approach that is effective but can take time. But you need to be patient. You need to be strong in some district, get to half a million users in a country, and then from that moment on, the acceleration is bigger and bigger. And now with one million, over, just over one million active users, there's still a long way to go. Italy is a 60 million inhabitants. But we've seen in the city that we tried first that we are reaching 25% of the population active on the platform and they are growing like never before. So it means we can really target more than 20 million users in Italy alone. And it's the right moment to do that now because only 1 million users are using it, but the brand is well known. And now we can grow on a national level. You just said that you don't care what bank account the user uses you're facilitating kind of a different part of his financial life so to say but you also talked about super apps before and satispay kind of building out more products do you see a future where satispay you know might become the bank account for your users or could you tell us a little bit more about kind of your vision of becoming the super app we don't see a real value in being a retail bank for consumers we actually believe is the worst financial service you could aspire to offer because at the end is extremely expensive, even from a regulatory capital perspective. You only make real money if you do loan or much better asset management. But that's another game. It's, it's, most of the time it's not even done by the bank, but a specific asset manager and the bank is just a distributor. So at the end where you have profits are payment, where you move money and you process the payment, investment, insurance, and the retail bank always end up just being distributor and taking few basis points on this while they have all the costs related to keeping the bank account. I believe the consumer side on the banking services is the poorest side. And due to where the regulation is going, I believe it's much more powerful to be the instrument that moves money, that understands the consumer behavior. At the end, you can have all your money on a bank account and using Satispay every day to pay for your coffee in the morning at the vending machine at your office or managing tax payments. And so Satispay more often than when you open your mobile banking app to see your balance and so on. So we want to be the best friend of our user. We want to be the best buddy of our merchants. We want to really solve their problem and simplify their life while we believe the bank account is a commodity. 
and you're gonna end up choosing one or, or or another because let's face it our generation at the end will need to buy an, an house and so probably is related to the bank that is giving me the loan and with the current interest rates it's not really that interesting to go and do that kind of work plus if you think on an international level still credit and loans are kind of locally regulated so if if a retail bank really makes money once steps into the credit with interest rate we see right now it means that you need to be specific for any single market with a specific regulation and still for a while while payment is a european regulation so we aspire to solve problems and i believe you're going to find on our platform probably a mobile operator, probably a utility provider called Satispay Mobile, Satispay Energy, before, even if it probably will never happen, a bank account. Because at the end, you need to have efficient energy provider, a smart mobile contract, and at the end, you probably even forget what's your bank. Also, think about the valuation of the companies. If you look into what's going on in the financial space and you try to compare the market cap of banks with the Visa, MasterCard, PayPal, and you see the ladder going up and going up and going up over time while the banks are going down and going down and going down. And also with COVID-19, in general, there have been an impact of about 20% on the payment industry, while on the banking was much tougher. But because you're going to use a Visa or MasterCard card, even if you change your bank, it doesn't matter. And what we are building is something that we are doing everything possible to make it happen that you're probably going to have a Visa or a MasterCard, but you're probably going to have also Satispay in your phone, no matter what's your bank. And when you're going to change bank, you will keep using Satispay because you are used to pay your taxes in that way because you use it every day and so on. So the value is on the services built on top. And the consumer, especially the consumer bank account, we believe is just a commodity. Yeah, I think those are great insights and definitely also shared at ARC that, you know, our thinking as well that really commoditize retail banks are moving further and further kind of in the background and what you have is those layers of whatever you want to call them digital wallets super apps that move towards the consumer have the consumer right at really endpoint digital distribution where you can directly talk to the consumer influence the consumer and offering him that variety of financial services that he needs right from his pocket really and I think also what you said on banks and the impact of COVID-19 on banks, you know, is also very true. If, if you see all the banks shutting down their branch networks and now they're sitting on huge costs to running all those branches, just another factor that obviously a cash app in the US or a Satispay in Italy does, doesn't have all that legacy infrastructure and legacy technology and so forth. And maybe we could use that as a point to move towards more current kind of circumstances that we're all under, the corona crisis. So maybe if I could ask you, what was the impact that you saw on your user base generally on your product? Maybe just as a side note from a US perspective, 
We're looking at Venmo and Cash App very closely, which are peer-to-peer payments applications and really also now merging into these digital wallets. So on Cash App, you can invest in stocks, invest in Bitcoins, you can you spend money with a debit card, there's also rewards programs and so forth. And especially Cash App has been doing is giving out money to consumers on social media channels. They actually have a thing called Cash App Friday, which reminded me a little bit of Satispay Friday. So we probably talk too much with people in cash <laughs> when we were in San Francisco. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, but it's great to see that, you know, these kind of strategies are working all around the globe and how effective they are. And what Cash App has been seeing, according to Jack Dorsey, the, the CEO of Square, the parent company of Cash App, is a record week in terms of new users, in terms of new signups throughout their activity where they gave out money on, on Twitter and other social media channels. So, and I think you could make kind of a broader point that, you know, while there are really negative impacts from the corona crisis on, you know, the whole economy, but also on the payment space, because a lot of payments players also have exposure to brick and mortar. And, you know, under these quarantine circumstances, the activity there is reduced. But on the other hand, you have people, you know, even the WHO, governments, authorities around the world, endorsing digital payments and mobile payments. Even today, I came across an article that said that a Midwestern laundry machine chain is now switching over to mobile payments. So there really seems to be this shift happening from all different kinds of industries to supporting those payment types, mobile payments, contactless payments, and so forth. So yeah, it would be great or better if you could uh, give us a little bit insight into what's happening with Satispay. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for the question. I believe we are in a good position to give a comment as fortunately Italy has been the first country to be impacted by the coronavirus after China, as you're aware, and is already a bit more than a month that is going on over here. Uh, Satispay is strong in the north of Italy where the virus had the strongest impact. Uh, it's been a tough period. Exactly like for Square, you see the stock being strongly impacted because they are focused on brick and mortar stores, which are now closed. But they also have the other side where people are signing up on cash. We've seen impressive numbers uh, going on. Obviously, the first couple of weeks of March, we've seen a slow down in sign up, both on consumer and merchants. But it was more because people were kind of trying to understand what was going on. As soon as the lockdown became effective, stores started to be closed and person needed to stay home. We see super interesting trends going on. So we've seen stable growth on consumer and merchants. We had the fastest acceleration on consumer sign-up, now growing 115% more than at the beginning of the crisis and 70% more than prior to the crisis. But number of transactions going down while volume going up. And this is because of several reasons. The vast majority of stores had to close down. But Satispay is used a lot in grocery and pharmacies. They have to be open and guarantee the service. And we saw that if the number of transactions was going down dramatically, the volume of transaction was kind of stable because you maybe go out and shop for food just once a week, but you spend all the money in a single time. And being 
fortunate to be in these stores has allowed us to sustain the volume. Plus, we saw a super healthy shift on the value-added services because prior to the crisis, a small part of the population was looking into smart solutions to pay for their taxes, mobile top apps, and utility bills, while the most of the population stick to their behavior. And they were used to go and queue in line in a, in a physical store or in public office, and they keep doing so. But from the moment they had to stay home, they had to look for a solution, and they found Satispay. And that is what have driven the customer acquisition cost on one side, because people were actually asking to friends, how are you going to pay for that? Oh, I'm using Satispay. Super healthy because you have customer acquisition with basically no marketing investment on that side. Super healthy because you have active user, because you are solving a problem. They cannot go outside and they need to pay for their bills. And so offering something that really solves the problem is the end game of every company. So we started seeing this happening on the consumer side and on the remote transaction, as we call them. So in-app transaction for mobile top-up and, and taxes and bill payments. But we kind of expected that. We didn't expect some other things to happen. So we saw a huge growth on customer sign-up, driven also by other factors. So we launched a fundraising campaign to have the civil protection, which is the um, organization managing the emergency with the hospitals in Italy. And in 20 days, we raised more than 1 million euros from our customer base. It's the third biggest campaign in Italy so far. And this obviously made the news. People started sharing the fact they were donating. And so many people were really into that and started signing up for that. The other thing we could have thought about, but we didn't thought about it was a surprise, is the growth on the merchant side. Because Satispay do not require to tap your phone on a POS, but you simply open the app, you see the stores around, select the store and send a payment, or scan a QR code and send a payment, you actually don't physically need to be in the store. And so we started having first stores saying, if you come in, please pay with Satispay because it's the only way we don't have to touch each other. You don't have to touch the card reader. You don't have to tap the pin there. So we really started seeing, please pay with Satispay. Then the World Health Organization specified that. And so the news started saying, oh, Actually, in Italy, we have a solution that is even better than cards. It's obviously better than cash, but even better than cards or their mobile payment where you need to tap because of NFC. But then we really saw merchants that had to close down and could only work with delivery, basically saying, I'm open for business. You can call me and pay with Satispay. Because with Satispay, you can also select the stores and it's pretty easy if they are kind of three kilometers away from your house to look for the store and send the money. So we noticed that and it happened that we had some transaction remotely, like over a kilometers of distance from the store, but we're like 7% of the overall transaction. We saw it growing up to 46%. And so we decided to take a step in that direction and enable a functionality that allowed the merchant to show 
if they can do delivery or takeaway. We thought about that. We worked on that. We launched it in a week. It's been an amazing teamwork. But now we have thousands of shops visible in the app that can be contacted via a specific phone number to place an order and send out the payment to process the transaction and then deliver the product. It can sound strange in an era of food delivery, but outside of the main cities, you don't have that. And you don't have that for all the food shops. And they didn't have time to set up an e-commerce, but they already had Satispay. So I believe we built a bridge from brick and mortar to e-commerce. And we always thought we're going to go into a delivery market user behavior will change probably in three years. So we were kind of ready to see something like that. But this emergency has accelerated dramatically what we thought would happen in three years eventually happened in one week. And so we now see we move from 150 merchants per day to 100 new active merchants per day because they are signing up because they know that with Satisfy, they can accept payment remotely. And most of the time, they already have their well-known and recurring customer. They know each other. Most of the time, they talk over the phone, so they simply accept the order and send out the payment request. So it's the positive factor is that we also been challenging into really stop our everyday work, analyze the situation, and look how the user base was reacting and what the population was looking for and trying to offer that. So now we are running with our every day is a new record in terms of volume of payment, new activation. Obviously, the number of payment is still low because previously 65% of transactions were in-store, but we are really seeing a powerful growth because I believe merchants and consumers are looking at Satispay as something that is solving a strong need that they have right now. On the other side, at digital transaction for taxes and for mobile top-ups, I believe those are still growing 30% week over week. And when someone discovered that he can pay his taxes with a couple of clicks, I don't believe people will go back to queue in public offices for this payment once this crisis will be finally gone. Yeah, I think that's fascinating. And just to be clear again, you were kind of talking about restaurants maybe being better equipped to quickly adopt to this change because they might already have delivery infrastructure work with some kind of app. But a lot of other types of businesses, mainly grocery stores, kind of left out, right? So you got a direct line to kind of enable those businesses to quickly shift and accept payments from you know people paying for maybe the groceries from their couch at home and then i guess picking them up or how would that process go we have two categories so the merchant can deliver maybe have a couple of person that are now more serving in the shop will decide to be visible in the delivery category so with Satispay, you can select, uh, let's say, restaurants, grocery, pharmacy, but you can also select cashback to see who is giving a promotion or delivery or takeaway. 
So if it's only about ordering and then picking up later, you will see the store in the takeaway list. If they are structured to offer delivery, they will be visible in the delivery list. So the merchant decides based on how it's structured. I believe we're going to see a shift toward delivery. So now I'm already talking to hundreds of stores that are going to be live only next week because they are organizing themselves to offer delivery because they believe they can actually work much more like that. I believe it can be sustainable because we're going to see a shift from spending money to serve people in store to be more well-organized and delivering. And if a local store in a neighbor becomes the reference point for grocery or for pharmacy with a couple of people, they can offer a much better service than what you have right now with delivery and rider where they move around all the city and super dangerous is super expensive sustainable because they have hundreds of millions to of investment to kind of offer it below the real cost but it can be done in a different way it can be much more sustainable and having more than 100,000 of stores being super super dense in some areas it was the right thing for us to do and we are really offering a real service that lets everybody know who is open for business and can deliver the grocery, who is open for business and I can order. So if I go there, I know that I find the medicine that I was looking for. Instead of going out, risking being infected, uh, arriving in the pharmacy, and maybe not even finding the product. Got it. Just another point kind of from our perspective at ARC that really fits great to what you're describing. It's just to remember that it's nearly impossible for, you know, the retail banks that you talked about before or also, you know, merchant acquirers or other parties in the payment ecosystem that don't have the direct close relationship with either the merchant and the, or the consumer or ideally both like you have and others like Square have to come up with these solutions that solve these problems like very fast. Like you said, in, in a matter of a week, you built that product. And we also see that playing out for Square where they have the direct access to the merchants via the point of sale terminal where they also can offer software services and directly talk to the merchant. And that direct line of communication is so important, especially in times like these, where you can you know, directly impact your merchant. So I think that's a great kind of reoccurring theme. But also think about the traditional bank or also, in a way, challenger bank that rely on someone else's infrastructure like Visa and MasterCard to process their payments. But in general, we're talking about more for retailer bank, traditional bank, company that do not own the technology. So you have a business that is quite standard. And because it's standard, you have outsourced IT to external provider and how can you react in an emergency in a week if you do not own the technology so i believe that many fintech company at the end are just it company product company they own not only the product but also the development so in a fintech like satispay you had not in a room, but in a conference call because of the current situation, 
compliance people, legal people, design people, communication team, and IT developers together taking the decision and making the steps toward uh, what we needed at the moment. Changing priority, develop a couple of things new, verify that they are compliant for the regulation because we are obviously a regulated financial institution, rolling it out with, with the right contract and talk about that to the media. And that's the only way you can react in a fast way. That's the only way you can, in more regular time, experiment to do A-B testing and see where the world will go and if the consumers like what you are proposing. Because what I'm seeing on the banking side that they go after macro trends because maybe they hear about them from consultants. And it's always too late when they start looking into what's going on and they don't own the asset to react. So it's basically impossible for banks to anticipate or actually serve the, the new needs that are coming up. I believe the only way for them is to be super specific, decide if they want to be the bank for merchants, the bank for businesses, the bank for consumer with a focus on insurance, with a focus on whatever, and build the product internally and maybe aggregate with the same focus. Because otherwise you have general banks all relying on external IT provider and basically not owning any sector and not jumping on any new trends. And it's going to be tough because it's only going to be about lowering costs or selling assets. Right now in Europe, we are seeing all the banks selling their acquiring. So the business of accepting payments for their merchants, which is the most profitable side of the payment game just because they need money to sustain their credit business. So they are not owner of their decision. They are kind of forced to sell assets and choose where to go. And the only way to have a successful business right now where things change from a, one year to the next uh, is to be fully independent in everything you need to develop. Yeah, I think those are great points and we could certainly record a, a couple of episodes on the struggles of European banks alone. But to kind of shift to, or actually stay here, but talk more about the future, I think one interesting reference point in thinking about, you know, could these shifts in consumer behavior or merchant behavior, could they be stable over time? One interesting reference point to look at if you want to answer that question because you can't really look into the future you don't know but one interesting point in history to look at is what happened in india in 2016 when there was a demonetization of their currency and you basically had that a positive demand shock towards digital wallets and mobile payments because people literally didn't have cash bills and we at arc we actually recorded a podcast with two professors from the Scalloc School of Management last year wrote a paper about that, and they saw that there was an initial shift you know, from cash, even from cards to those new payments instruments. And then what they also saw is that the users actually were sticking to them, 
even after the cash was in circulation again, after the crisis was over. And they also explained that, you know, this phenomenon that you alluded to also earlier of kind of these infection points in your network effects, where if you have a situation where, you know, there's a critical mass of users on your payment network and they're used to using it, especially the merchants basically only see positives from offering it to consumers, then you could have a sustained effect. So you talked earlier already a little bit about, you know, you seeing those effects being stable, but maybe if you could go a little bit more into that and kind of talk about your outlook for the next couple of months or even years. Yeah, I believe, I obviously don't know what's going to happen in the future, but being in payment for a while, first of all, we can say that Europe was strongly working on a regulatory side to incentivize electronic payments. And obviously, you have less tax evasion and, and it's better for the economy and it's better for the world Europe. But Europe really took serious step with payment service directive one and two. And even single countries like Italy lately this year started giving incentive and tax incentive for people paying electronically. So already there was, we can say the regulation was kind of on our side, on electronic payment side to incentivize that. I can only imagine this is going to be even stronger in a context where it's clear that cash is a vehicle for the virus to spread. And we know this is not going to go away in a couple of months. It's going to be here probably for all 2020. So you need few months to accelerate growth and become a behavior. And as you said, in India, it was because of a regulation, but again, give cash and people keep using the new technology. And this is down to the fintech company like Satispay to build a great product. That once you break the barrier of signing up the user and having the user to, to actually use it and try it, you end up having a loyal customer over time. The other reason I believe are actually people have been forced to technology and most of the people won't go back to older solution. I believe the way people work will change. We will see much more conference call. And I think it's going to be positive, but I can assure you here in Italy, a lot, but I believe everywhere, a lot of meetings and travel were done just to meet in person, even when it wasn't necessary. And you need to kind of force people to change their behavior. And people have been forced to change their behavior. They have been forced to try new things. We can also kind of make a comment on the fact that conference calls system are not provided by telco, as probably payments are not going to be provided by banks. It works like that. Banks are a commodity, while the product on top of telcos and bank are really in the hands of consumers. So we will see a shift due to the fact that technology simplifies people's life. And once you try it, you don't go back. We will see a slow reopening. We know that. We are already talking about phase two here in Italy. We've seen it in China. So we cannot expect to have restaurants full of people. We cannot expect to have stores full of people. We cannot expect people to behave exactly like they were behaving before. This will be regulated. And plus, uh, there will be some fear around. So everything that enables remote transaction that enable a person not to go in a crowded office or a crowded shop or solution that enable a restaurant or a merchant to 
respect the law of keeping distance between their customer, but still serving the same number of customer, maybe because it's actually delivering the products or the food, those are obviously succeeding. So I believe Europe was already going in that direction and is a direction of bringing people into payment solutions that are actually easier to use than the, the traditional cards or, or specifically much more than cash. Plus, it's not a situation that is going to go back to normality. And so it's going to last probably even one year. And in this year, people will, adopt, will basically start living in a different way and choose this product that I believe will improve their life. And even if we will, I hope, uh, maybe after a couple of years, go back to full normality, will be definitely changed at that point. Yeah, I think that's a great perspective because a lot of people now think about, you know, here in Germany, we hear that, you know, schools might open after Easter or that the conversation about schools being reopened could start after Easter. And, you know, we've not been in this whole situation for that long. So people are, you know, remembering the status quo before that very vividly. And they kind of expect that, you know, in a matter of relatively short time, we might go directly back to that. But I don't think that's going to happen, as you said. No, it's not going to happen, unfortunately. Yeah, we'll take some smaller steps and there will be some long-term consequences. And I think, also kind of alluding to your comments, I think that people will, you know, in the future, over the next months, maybe even over the next years, think about, you know, do I really have to take that meeting? Or do I have to really go there in person? Or how could I, you know, reduce my risk of contracting this virus or maybe, you know, could be other things even coming up in the future, who knows? So I think, like you said, there will be these medium long-term consequences. And then if we really go back to whatever was the status quo to 100%, these habits are built, right? So we really should expect a shift there. Absolutely. I think we would end it on that note. If you have any comments, please let us know. Well, just a couple of thoughts that came up to my mind. Talking about mobile payment, this is what, what we are doing. We all know the most successful uh, mobile payments are in Asia with Alipay, WeChat, with Paytm in India, Gojek in Indonesia, TOS in Korea. So one thing that I've seen Satispay becoming stronger and stronger by solving problem of Italian citizens, I believe that we are going to probably see, and even more after this crisis, domestic solution being dominant. Because it's different than being like PayPal, leading e-commerce. With mobile payment, you kind of need to solve the need of a specific group of people that end up to be the need of a country. We are aspiring to that. Someone can aspire to cover some country, maybe in the European ecosystem, thanks to being under the same regulation. But if I can say something about mobile payment, I will say look for the domestic leader. And you will have super app being used more than once a day by millions and millions of users, but being specific in solving the need of people in a certain country or in a certain geography. And I believe that's what I can say. I was already convinced about that before this crisis. I believe this crisis is going to maybe accelerate it even more because maybe we're going to go back to flying glass 
traveling less, unfortunately. And we know this is going to close a bit different countries, the borders. And the other thing, I think, from an entrepreneurial perspective, uh, look for the opportunity because we know we will need to go in offices. Uh, we know we will need to fly again. We know we will need to do certain things. But we know that maybe air filters will need to be changed. We know that regulation will come to solve some of the risk. And so I believe right now is a terrible moment for the health risk, but I believe it's a great moment because it's quite easy to stop and think and see opportunities that are going to materialize in the next few months. And I believe this is where the startup can really play their game and win over the market faster. Thank you. Those are also the views shared by ARC, as we said that innovation takes off in tough times. And this certainly is the case, as we've heard in our conversation today with Alberto. So thank you again for the conversation and stay safe. Thank you. You too. ARC believes that the information presented is accurate and was obtained from sources that ARC believes to be reliable. However, ARC does not guarantee the accuracy or completeness of any information, and such information may be subject to change without notice from ARC. Historical results are not indications of future results. Certain of the statements contained in this podcast may be statements of future expectations and other forward-looking statements that are based on ARC's current views and assumptions, and involve known and unknown risks and uncertainties that could cause actual results, performance, or events to differ materially from those expressed or implied in such statements.